0: In the eighth Psalm, David asked an important question. It's a question that has been asked by many a theologian, philosopher, and perhaps even you. Perhaps you've asked this question. What's the question? The question is this. What is man? What is man? Who are we? What is a human being? David asked it this way. In psalm chapter 8 verse 4 you'll see it on the screen it says this what is man that you are mindful of him what is man that you are mindful of him it's an important question and it's important that we know the answer the answer says a lot about how we understand who we are it also impacts how we are to treat other people in our lives, other men, other women, other human beings. So understanding who man is, who you are as a human being, is very important. Tonight we're going to take a closer look at just that. Last week we looked at day five of creation and a little bit of day six. Day five and just a little bit into day six as God brought life to be on the earth. (laughs) We looked at other explanations of the complexity of life, and we saw that there's trouble with those explanations. The biggest problem, we looked at evolution, the biggest problem that the evolutionist has really is not it's it's not explaining the great complexity that we see in life. That's a great task that the evolutionist has and to explain the great complexity that we see in life on the earth. But the biggest problem that we see is explaining from a naturalistic sense how life came to be at all. How there is life in any form, in any way. If there is no God, how did inanimate matter become living? And I believe that there is no naturalistic explanation only to suggest some sort of protein-based water that gets struck by lightning, and boom! There's life. A cell, and then another one, and add on millions of years, and here we are, writing books and symphonies, and inventing incredible technology. (laughs) There seems to be something that man is, And it is different from all the other forms of life that are on the earth. Tonight we're going to look at day six of creation, the rest of it. We're going to look at creation, the creation of man, mankind, human beings, whatever term you want to use. And so when I say man tonight, for the most part, unless I'm specifically talking about a man, I'm going to be using man in that way uh, to include Mankind. Okay, just wanted to get that out of the way. So tonight we're going to look at day six, the rest of day six, and and the crowning piece of of creation week. So let's take a look at this tonight. God makes man. Let's pick it up in Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six. <clears throat> it says this. Then God said. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps upon the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. And then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we come to this point, this portion, this point of day six. And this is where... Man is made, mankind is made, God makes man, He creates man. Now the language here of verse 26 is interesting, it has uh, been of interest to theologians for centuries and centuries and centuries, why is that? Because when you read it, and I'll throw that particular <coughs> verse up on the screen, it says this: God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness." And so we have God speaking in a plural. We have God saying, "Let us," you know. So He's He's speaking in a plural. And there are those uh, that would see the uh, the the we here was regarded by the fathers, the early theologians, almost unanimously as indicative of the Trinity. So the plural the plurality here that we see was was indicative of the Trinity. But uh, more modern commentators, and when you use the more the, the term modern, when you do it in in when that term comes up in scholarly work. It's not like the last two weeks, okay? (laughs) It's talking about really like the last hundred years, really, okay? So when the term modern is used, it could include, you know, all of the 20th century, really. More modern commentators, on the other hand, have regarded it as what's called the pluralist majestasis, magestatious which is kind of like the majestic plural, as we would say, right? The majestic plural. I I kind of reject that point of view. Um, And then there are other other scholars, even today, that would say that God is uh, operating and speaking from what is called the divine counsel. And so God, speaking to the council, says, Let us make man in our image. And he is speaking, really, of what he's going to do. But God operates from his throne, from his council, in heaven and on earth. And we're going to see that as we go through the scriptures. And so the angels, the sons of God, the divine heavenly council with God, he's saying, Let us make man in our image. And I, I can see really, I give kind of credence to the the, the the Trinitarian plural here, and I can see what the scholars are saying with the divine Council view. I think it, 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 it definitely uh, could play in there uh, in terms of what this is saying. So God says, man would be made. He says, let us make man in our image. And so man... Mankind is going to be made. It's this special creature, it's this special creature, it's the, the crowning piece of the creation. And this particular crowning piece of creation is going to be made in the image of God. And this has also perplexed many scholars for centuries. and fact, there's books and books and books and libraries filled with, what on earth does that mean? What, what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? If man is made in the image of God, what is the image? What is the image of God? And so we'll ask it that way. And tonight we're gonna attempt to answer that question. And we're gonna see where the answer to the question is very important and foundational to a lot of the, the, the things that we do in life and the principles and the views on certain things that we hold to to be true. And it's important. And so it's not just a grandiose theological uh, thing that, oh, isn't that lovely, for systematic theology. No, this is actually foundational to understanding who we are, what we're called to be, and what that means in in light of the other human beings that we're going to come in contact with in our lives. So what is the image of God? Well, if you, if you do the research, you come up with there's pretty much three views on the, what is the image of God. Three views on this. But ultimately, the answer is important. It, it goes exactly to what God did in separating out man from the rest of creation. So we're going to take a look at the three views of what the image of God is. The first one is, the, is called the relational view. The relational view. The, the relational view argues that that one must be in relationship with God in order to possess the image of God. And so those who hold to the relational image agree that humankind possesses the ability to reason as a substantive trait, but they argue that it's in relationship with God that the true image is made evident. Theologians uh, Karl Barth and Emil Brunner argue that it is our ability to establish and maintain complex and intricate relationships that make us like God um, so I think there seems to be something to that but you can see where that uh, might present problems in terms of exactly what the the image of God is the next one is actually called the substantive view the substantive view The substantive view locates the image of God within the psychological or spiritual makeup of the human being. This view holds that there are similarities between humanity and God, thus emphasizing these characteristics that are shared, the shared substance between both parties. Some proponents of the substantive view uphold that the rational soul mirrors the divine. And so there's something of substance there that somehow uh, is the image of God. You will notice that there is some overlap between the relational view uh, and the substantive view. The substantive view just takes it a few steps further. The substantive view locates the image of God in a characteristic or capacity unique to humanity, such as uh, intellect, reason, or will. Uh, You could say it this way. The image uh, can be uh, portrayed as a physical attribute. The image of God is often defined as an ability dependent upon uh, the human brain or the human intellect, including intelligence, rationality, emotions, volitional will, consciousness, sentience, the ability to communicate. Then others would locate it in the spiritual abilities. The spiritual abilities are God-directed abilities, or spiritual inclinations of the inner life, the be- a-, a belief in God, a desire to know God, prayer, the ability to pray. Uh, knowing right from wrong, these types of things. Uh, in, within the context of the substantive view, they might even place the image of God within the soul, what we call the soul. The image of God may refer to the possession of a soul or spirit. Although the ancient Israelite believed that a person was the totality of the body and the inner life, the animate life force, and they were not inclined to define the parts of humanity also it is interesting to note if you're going to locate the image of god in the soul that which is the hebrew word nefesh and some animals are said to possess a nefesh so So, so there are some animal uh, uh, species and whatever, and that's actually, I didn't bring that out in day six of the creation of the animals, but they are said, there are some of them that are said to have a nephesh or or soulish, and that might encourage you if you think, you know, dogs go to heaven or something. (laughs) (laughs) I think there was a movie, right? Wasn't there something about that? We know there's horses in heaven, right? Right? Because Jesus rides a horse. A oh, white horse. Um, so that's all. That's all included in in Genesis one in terms of the creation of the animals. So if you connect it to the soul, then you know you might have some kind of dissecting there and some and some work to do uh, in terms of getting there. Now, up until just recently. I would have probably, if you would have asked me maybe even last year, what's the image of God? I would have probably told you something along the lines of what I just told you in the substantive view. It's got to be something to do with the fact that we're brighter than the animals and we're, we have a soul or a spirit or something, or, 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 or some ability that we have, some ability that we possess, whether whether it's in the, the, the physicality of the the relationship between the soul and the the brain function, or it's lodged solely within the soul the, the soul spirit uh, combo there. However, you want to delineate that. I've come to uh, come across a different view. It's not a new view. It's kind of maybe new, a little bit newer to me. and being articulated a little bit um, more these days. Uh. There seems to be a problem with the substantive view that is being presented, Um, and here are some of the problems. All all of the substantive issues are not equally present among all human beings. All are not present in all human beings at all times, and some are not unique to human beings, as we just talked about in the So, by, place, by taking the substantive view and by placing the image of God within those characteristics, attributes, and abilities, you get into problems when we get into questions like the pro life question. Uh, what is life and it, when is it taking a life and so on and so forth? So, that's why I want to present this to you in the way that, that I am because it goes all the way to those kind of core foundational principles. The substantive view does nothing for the, for the fetus, the early fetus, because there's really no, you, you could say that the, there's the cells that are going to become the brain but there's no brain function. And so on and so forth. So, are the disabled in a vegetative state, and so on, that doesn't seem to have the, these, all of these abilities. They might have some. They may have had them. Now they no longer do it. They're no longer in the image. See? So if you place all of your eggs in the basket of the substance of you, then you can run into at least a little problem. Because whereas the pro-life position believes that life begins at conception, and the taking of a life is wrong, because why why is the taking of a life wrong, according to the Bible? It... The Bible tells us why it's wrong to take another life. Genesis 9, verse 6 says this, you see it on the screen, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God he made man. So this is actually outlining uh, the idea of capital punishment for murder, and saying why it's wrong for for there to be murder, because in the image of God he made man. So something about the image is, is got to be uh, it's got to be something that, that man has or possesses or is from beginning to end, and they can't progressively get those attributes, and they can't progressively not have those attributes. It's something that they always must possess or always must be. Okay? And so, this brings us to the last main view, and it's called the functional view. The functional view of the image of God. We need to look at this phrase, in the image of God. God said, let us make man in our image, in the the image of God he made that, right? Let's look at this phrase let's look at the preposition in, and just as we have the preposition in in English, we also have the prepositions in the biblical languages, Greek and Hebrew, and of course we have the Hebrew translation of the Bible, we also have the Greek Septuagint uh, that was was available 300 years before the, the birth of Christ, so um, Jesus himself would have had access to the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So, um, so we have these prepositions in the biblical language. So, let me ask you a couple questions here. If I say I'm in the kitchen, what does that tell you? Huh? What does it tell you? It tells me where I am, right? So, in would actually be Geographical, right? So the so the in there would actually talk speak of geography. If I say this, I broke the glass in pieces. I broke the glass in pieces. What does that tell you? It tells you that there was a, a result that there was a there was there was a result that happened of, of of some type of action. Let me say let me say this. If I say I work in education, what does that tell you? It tells you that I work in that particular field. It doesn't necessarily speak of a location, but it tells you something that I am, something that I'm a part of, something that I'm in in that sense. I work as, really, a teacher or a principal or a guidance counselor or whatever, okay? So there it would be more as, I work as. In the functional view, the preposition in is understood as to be as. The, the image of God that we're made as the image. We're made in the image, we're made as the image. And this is very interesting. Once you, If you've never heard this before, and you're kind of going, where on earth and whatever, just, just stay with me, okay? Just bear with me. The preposition in should be understood as meaning as or in the capacity of. Humanity in this view was created as the image of God. The concept can be conveyed if we think of image as a verb. Archaeologists, uh, have discovered many texts, many uh, archaeological artifacts, and many texts where specific kings are exalted as images of their respective deities. And so if you look into the the ancient civilizations, you had perhaps the pharaoh was the image of or as the, the, the gods that they represented. Okay? So they were in the image as. As that image. Okay? So... Really, in this view, humans are created as God's image, or to put it this way, as God's imagers, that we're placed upon the earth, that mankind is given a special status Really. it. Not a special ability, although we do have abilities and attributes that separate us from the rest of the animal kingdom, if you want to say it like that. We are in a special status because we are the crowning jewel of creation, and we're created in a special class as the image of God upon the earth. So they function in the capacity of God's representatives. The image of God in this view is not a quality within human beings, it's what humans are. It's what humans are. It's actually what you are, what you're made to be. You're created as the image. We are imagers by status. Man was made to be his image on the earth. And the image of God is followed by the mandate. So the ancient rulers operated as the image of the deity that they were as that image and they operated in the power of authority as the image of that deity so if you understand this in an ancient Israelite understanding an ancient Hebraic understanding the image of God is followed by the mandate So so the two are connected let us make man in our image and so we created them in our image and let them rule over the earth. And so the, the, the status is connected to the mandate that was given. And so really, we were, we are imagers of God to rule upon the earth for God. And that's what really he was doing. Look at the rest of Genesis 1.26. He says this, Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon The earth, and I believe that this has, if you if you ascend to this functional view, it has profound implications for every human life. Profound, because the image is not contained within an ability or an attribute of any kind. It is actually what human beings are, and they can be that at every stage, and so they can be the where, where the sperm has uh, you know penetrated the egg and become that zygote or that early fetus. That is as, that is, that is a status, if that's a human being, then that is in the status of, of, of being an imager because it's what a human being is. A human being was created as the image to be the imagers of God upon the earth. Late in life, when those abilities and those cognitions and those things have faded from you, this, is, this goes right, people, stay with me tonight, yeah. because this goes right to the actual debates that are going on in our country and our world yeah. and where people are, are fighting and, and clamoring and, and, and rioting and all kinds of stuff. This is what is, is the Bible is teaching. Right. So why would you be pro-life? And I, I've spoke to many Christians that have taken really kind of wild views on the, to be honest with you, disappointing views, When we understand what the image of God is, this changes everything. It changes our understanding of what a human life is. The word created as the image, to be imagers of Almighty God. But then also it's connected to what we do as imagers. It's connected to what we do. It has a profound impact on each of us individually. If we are as divine imagers, it then means that all human endeavor and enterprise has spiritual meaning. Because we're operating in that what we're doing is the images of God. In whatever we're doing, in whatever vocation, whatever calling, whatever job, whatever work we're doing, we're operating in that king role, in that, that role that He's placed us in, that He's given us in. And so work is a, is a spiritual exercise. Vocation is worship, no matter how mundane. And, 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 and so Hey, look, we've all done some really mundane stuff. I mean, I I took a job digging trenches for a sprinkler contractor. <laughs> you want to talk, talk about, you know, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I mean, my hands were raw, you know. And uh, but it doesn't matter. Because when we're operating in that function, we are we are doing what we are created to do, and we're operating as the image. Any task performed to steward. Creation to harness its power for God's glory and the benefit of fellow imagers, and to foster in the harmonious productivity of fellow imagers is imaging God, or as the image. Now, the next thing we learn about man, and specifically about him being in God's image or as God's image or an imager, is the image of God is gender neutral it's gender neutral look at that verse 1 verse 26 or verse 27 I'm sorry so God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them so the image of God is gender neutral because he created mankind with two genders And here we go on another current topic. Okay? So remember when I said the foundation of everything is in Genesis? That's what we're talking about in this series, okay? Very important stuff. God created mankind in two genders, both of which as human beings, they're created as the image. Okay, so the image of God that we have, that status that we have, that function that we have is gender neutral, because there are two genders. Now, the state of New York recognizes 31 genders. I I looked this up. 31 genders. Facebook has more than 70 gender categories for your profile. And Google Plus has just created a filter for gender identification, and it's called customs. So what this means is there's an unlimited number. You can create your own gender now. So whatever it is, I mean, I'm a, I don't know what I am, but I'm just this, X Y Z P D Q. Whatever, you can just make it up. And this goes to the, it goes to the confusion. Yes, yes that we see in the the world today. Now, now, speaking, you know, with all compassion and love on the subject, there are people that have tremendous mental illness, um, that have um, severe uh, abuses and things in their life, Uh, maybe in their growing up years, other times, whatever. There are things that have happened, Uh, that I think ultimately go to kind of the mental state that are not gender state, okay? Mental state is not gender state, okay? So, we need to understand God's word says he created mankind and he created them with two genders, not 70 or 35 or custom or whatever. He created mankind with two genders, and so when there's confusion, when there's all that going on, what you have really is a mental health issue and not something that now we need to, you know, say, okay, let's let's this is okay, this is this is wonderful. No, we need to help people. So he created them. How did he create them? He created man, male and female. Male and female. And then we see the mandate. So we see the mandate that God gave to them in verse 28 man's mandate verse 28 says this be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth and so this is the mandate that is given to man created in two genders Both genders, both gendered versions of mankind being created as the image, okay? And God mandates that we rule over the earth, that we take dominion over the earth, that we rule over, we take dominion, we have dominion over any, and really we see over all areas of the earth, the waters and, and, and the life that's in the waters, over the birth, of the air, the skies, and over every living creature that moves on the earth, and so the an animal <laughs> kingdom and all the rest of it. So we, we take dominion, that is our role. We're operating in that role. We steward it, we take care of it, we work it. We work we, we work it. And when we do that, we rule, we take dominion. And this is all part of the mandate. It's part of the mandate. Now another thing that God wanted for his imagers, other than taking the place of taking dominion, of stewardship, of ruling, in that sense, another thing that God wanted for his imagers is that we multiply. Mm -hmm. That we multiply and fill the earth. And this wasn't to stop. This mandate is gone forward. Multiply, be fruitful, and multiply and fill the earth. There's no clause in the mandate that says stop multiplying at such and such a date. There's no clause that says, when the earth appears to you to be too full, stop multiplying and filling the earth. Or for various other reasons, that you may deem sufficient, stop multiplying and fill the earth. No. The mandate is this, rule over the earth, work, steward, rule and reign in your life, and multiply, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Now the trend in Western culture is, well, let's say it this way, it's a a sad trend. The trend is sad in Western culture. It is because in many ways we have stopped multiplying. the The Middle East and African cultures are multiplying. Western culture has has slowed to a uh, um, I don't know to say turtle's pace, maybe, or just a slow, maybe even a snail. When you look at the birth rates, the fertility birth rates of Western countries western europe the, the fertility birth rates are all in the low ones in 2014 the total fertility rate in the eu28 28, the, the 28 countries of the eu at that particular time the fertility the live fertility birth rate was 1.58 live births per, per woman with many countries having birth rates in the 1.25 to 1.3 range. You say, well, Charles, what? I don't get it. I don't, what does the number mean? The fertility birth rate that replaces your population is 2.11. And so Western culture, the civilization of everything that you and I know in our lives, okay, is on track not to replace itself. It's on track not to replace itself, and if you care to dive into the studies, there are articles and studies and on and on and on. If this is if I, just if this is a shocking news to you, then you can Google this and, and they can talk about. It. Now we're a little bit, we're not quite as all the way where Europe is, Western Europe, even Eastern Europe. the. the The U.S. is kind of hovering right at that replacement rate, and so we're in jeopardy because our culture, our culture, is not going to be replaced. More and more people are putting off having kids; many putting it off altogether. Let me say this, one way for the church to have more influence in the world is to have more children and bring them up in the Lord to be Christ's followers. But in many ways, we've kind of gone with ways of Western thinking on this. I have felt this for a little while now, but I believe that it is a word from the Lord. For our young people, our young couples in the church across the United States and even the world. And I want to speak directly to anyone here and on podcast, video, whoever is watching this. Word from the Lord Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth with more of God's images. And bring them up to know what it is, means to be his image. To all the young people out there, if you want to know how you can make a difference in your own life, in the lives of others, and in the world, do this one thing. Be fruitful and multiply and do that in the context of marriage. In the context of a marriage between a man and a woman, get married and have babies. Amen? Get married and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with people that will know what it means to be an image of God. Yes, amen. I believe that that's a word for the Lord. And I have felt this for a very long time, and it took me to get all the way to this particular message to be able to articulate that just in the way that I was there. Being fruitful and multiply. It will be that point in your life of accountability to God and to being, being an example to your kids. It will influence the world. Because there will be more Christ followers loving God, serving Him, and serving others in the world. Amen? So be fruitful and multiply. I have been saddened to hear of trends. Um, I was just talking to a pastor friend of mine who was visiting here for a couple days, and we were actually talking about these types of statistics, and that the statistics are... Also, what we find even in the church today that where young people are putting off marriage till till much later, and putting off child uh, bearing till till much later, and, and many times till it's it's in many cases very late to get started. So I'm just articulating this, you know, from the mandate that we have from God. God will, you know, people say, well, doesn't the earth have too many people already? And what, You know, I was reading a, another study on food supply. And we have the ability right now on the yes. earth to, to make enough food for double the earth's population that it is right now. So whenever you hear anybody say that, you know, we can't do that because... There's poverty, or we can't do that because there's not enough food. Poverty and lack are never a result of these types of things. Poverty and lack are generally a result of sin corruption uh, in, in, the, in the levels of government. And where you see the extreme poverty, you see uh, the extreme corruptions in the governments. Just go in and pick, pick various countries out and do studies on various countries. Throughout Africa and specifically Somalia. I don't know if you've ever seen Black Hawk Down, but if if you see that movie, you understand that Somalia is a complete rogue nation; it doesn't even have a government. We've sent we've sent uh, humanitarian stuff in there only for it to be taken over by the by the uh, yes. by the warlords. Okay, so poverty and all that is is never a lack of. That type of thing. It's a, it's a product of the corruption, and if we truly want to understand justice, um, we need to we need to understand that aspect. That sometimes the, we do need to bring that type of justice in certain areas because of the genocide that is happening, and because of the of the, the absolute evil that is being perpetrated upon the people. And so we, we need to understand those things, but. That was a little bit of a tangent there, but I'm going to it, swing it back into 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 the lane here and finish up on day six. Where where are we? We need to finish up here. So God finishes off day six by assigning the food. <laughs> That's how He finishes off the day by assigning the food for humans and all the animals. And so He says, "This food is for you guys as the animals, and this food is for you guys to eat as human beings." And and he gets to the end of all of his creation he looks at all of it and he says it was very very good now I do want to bring this message just for a couple more minutes into the New Testament and what that means in terms of who we are as Christ followers and that I want to ask the question can you lose the image of God and someone can you lose the image of God I think we've made that question abundantly clear that the answer is no, we can't lose the no. status of, of a human being made as the image of God, but you can choose to image other things in your life. Yes. You can choose to operate as imaging other things in your life besides God. You can be made into the image of of another so-called deity, as Paul would say the Corinthians. The Bible speaks of the enemy. We know we have the enemy, the devil, being called the god of this world. And he's a destroyer, destroyer, he's a killer, he's a liar. And there are those that become imagers of him. They have not relinquished their status of human being and being made as the imager of God. But they can kind of be in that camp, so to speak. You were created with the status and charge of being an image of God. And that's why God sent his son into the world to redeem mankind back from these things. And brought his son into the world, Jesus, as, get this, the perfect image. The perfect image. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so, when being the brightness of his glory and what? The express image of his person. So Mankind, man, male and female, created as the imagers, but the Son of God comes into the world as the express image, as the express image. Jesus is the Son, He is God, and He put on human flesh. So He is God, but He put on humanity, but He comes into the world as the express image of the Father. The Father sent the Son as the perfect image. The word for express here, express image, here in hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is really one greek word and it is this character character is the word of the expressed image and it means this the instrument used for engraving or carving the mark stamped upon the instrument or wrought out on it a mark or figure burned in or stamped on an impression get this the exact expression the image of any person or thing, marked like this, precise reproduction in every respect. The character. And so, this is who God sent into the world His express image, the character, that one that would be the perfect imager. So Jesus is the exact, precise image of God. He perfectly carried out the Father's will. He went to the cross to bear the burdens of all man's sins, purging our sins. So when we receive Christ, when a human being comes out from being, you know, kind of tied to whatever you were tied to, whatever you were involved in, you come out of the world. You come out. Paul said it this way that you're under the. If you're not in Christ, you're under the sway of the wicked one. So let's get our theology right. People who are not in Christ are what? They're under the direction. They're under the sway of the wicked one. But when we come to Christ, we come into Him and we become like Him. We're in a process of becoming more and more like him. We're being made, sanctified into the exact image, into the character of Christ. Paul said it this way to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 29. I'll have it up on the screen in the ESV. It says this, for those whom he foreknew, speaking of God, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So that we're being conformed into the express character, the express image, the perfect image of Christ. And so when you give your life to Christ, you're a human being who is an imager of God by status, but now you are submitting your life as someone who is now going to be conformed to be an imager of Christ, to be in the, the express character of Christ. So you're an imager by status because you're a human being. Now you're being molded, you're being conformed into the express image of Christ. And this is what God is doing in our lives. You go from having the status as an imager of God to someone whose life, your thoughts, your actions, everything is being conformed to be a true imager of Christ. The question then becomes, what is happening in your life right now? Do you know that you are made to be an imager of your Heavenly Father? And through Christ, He's perfecting that in you. And Christian, you are being conformed into the image of Christ. Now the world wants to conform you into its mold. The world wants to conform you into its mold, to its purpose. Paul told the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In the ESP. do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing, by that testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the world is molding you in this way. As a Christian, Christ is molding you in a different way, in the character of Christ, the express image. And the foundation, all this foundation, was laid down on day six of creation. Jesus came as the express, the exact image of God, and perfectly performed his will of dealing with sin. The only question left for every human being is what image are you being referred to? What image are you operating in? the pattern of this world, or the express image of Christ. Christian, we're called to be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. And that operate in that dominion and that mandate that he has given us, that he has placed upon our hearts, that we go out into the world to do his will.